So, Elethea, do you like animals? I love animals. And um, what's your favorite animal? Wolf, dolphin, and dog. Wow, wolf, okay. And here's a question for you. Do you think animals can feel pain? Yes. And um, how would you know that? They can be whimpering, laying down on the ground and not getting up. They could be limping, and you could also see if they can't be breathing. Right. Um, do you actually know who would disagree with you? Not at all. Somebody called Rene Descartes. <laughs> oh. Welcome, everyone. So are you tired of the same old ways of seeing things? Well, you've come to the right place. Here, we cut through the world of surface appearances and look for the light that's rare in the depths. Here, we dive into the dark waters where strange creatures move. Here, we're free to be that foolish knight who lunges at windmills and who lights up the world with his magical vision. It's all too much, says George Harrison. Well, that's true. But all the more reason to jump into it and intoxicate yourself with life's infinite profusion. After all, you don't discover new lands by sticking close to the shore, do you? This is the wisdom of, and coming up, the philosopher Peter Singer. Okay, well, hi everyone. So today the the lighter side of this podcast is, well, he's in the dark. He's sick, and so can't make it into the uh, to the wisdom of compound. So um, unfortunately, you're going to have to put up with me. But um, anyway, so first, and as usual, a brief summary. So Peter Singer is an Australian philosopher who works at Princeton University. Outside of um, academic circles, he's probably best known for his book, Animal Liberation, which he wrote in 1975, and which essentially inaugurated the contemporary animal liberation movement. Suffice it to say, it really changed the conversation about our treatment of animals. Okay, so I don't know if this is um, common knowledge or not. But the French philosopher, René Descartes, used to perform vivisections, that is, the practice of uh, cutting animals open, while they were still completely alive. He actually has um, detached depictions of it in his work. Now, why did he do this? How could he do it? Well, it's because he believed that animals, non-human animals specifically, were without minds. They were soulless machines, or automata. 
they were basically robots. And so their behavior, including uh, screeching and, and writhing while they were being cut open, was nothing more than an unconscious reflex. Nothing more than the, than the sound of the squeaking of a door or the uh, falling of a tree. You see, for Descartes, unlike humans, of course, animals don't have minds or souls. They're just a material body. And because of this, they are incapable of thinking and feeling. They're just not sentient beings. Seeming um, cries of pain, then, were simply not the expression of experienced suffering. Actually, you know, Descartes' pupil, the French uh, philosopher and, uh, and priest, Malebranche, sums it all up very simply. He says, Animals eat without pleasure, and they cry without pain, and they grow without knowing it, and they desire nothing, and fear nothing, and know nothing. Wow. Okay, well, so are Descartes and the others right? Is it true that animals don't suffer? Well, today I don't think most people think that's true. But yet exactly what grounds or reasons do we have for attributing the capacity for suffering in animals? That's the question that Singer asks us. I mean, when you think about it, it's not actually that straightforward. I mean, forget animals for a moment. What ground do we ourselves have for supposing that other humans feel pain? You see, pain is a, is a tricky thing. And that's because it's an internal mental event. And so it's not something that can be observed directly. In other words, pain is something that someone feels on the inside. And so ultimately, we can only infer that other humans are feeling it from the way that they behave on the outside, from their external behavioral indications. Okay, but here's the thing, and uh, Singer makes sure to stress this. We humans are never skeptical about inferring pain and suffering in other humans based on behavioral indications. That's to say, when we see someone crying or, or writhing, we don't stop and ask any deeper um, philosophical questions. We just assume that they're in pain. End of story. Okay, well, now Singer asks, why on earth don't we take the same sort of approach, extend the, the same sort of charity towards animals then? In other words, why don't we take that pain inference to be justifiable in the case of animals? I mean, it doesn't take a lot of work to see that all the behavioral signs are the same, certainly in the case of the so-called um, higher animals. That's to say, they squirm, they recoil, and they yelp or scream. Again, Singer's point here is that if we're not skeptical about inferring pain in our fellow human beings, then on the pain of consistency, we shouldn't be skeptical about attributing pain to animals either. Okay, but the fact that we've um, traditionally been skeptical about, or just um, insensitive to, animal suffering, and that in general we haven't been, and uh, still aren't, anywhere near as charitable with animals as we are with other members of our own species, I think points to a deeper underlying issue. And this is also something that Singer talks about. Namely, our deeply ingrained anthropocentric outlook. A topic, um, by the way, that I explored in a small episode um, not too long ago. 
Anyway, you see, Singer thinks that our our traditional Western understanding of the status of animals is grounded in a human-centered view. One which um, basically says that only humans have moral importance. In other words, the human species is seen as being on a pedestal above all other species on Earth, or as having a unique value that is different from all other species. Now, a consequence of this anthropocentrism, Singer says, is that, whether we're aware of it or not, animals are viewed by us as instruments or mere means to our own ends. In a word, they exist only for our pleasure and convenience. Now, where does this outlook come from? Why do we have this sort of attitude towards animals? Well, Singer says that part of it stems from the Christian tradition. Among others, he cites uh, Genesis from the Old Testament, where the implication is that we're at the center of things and animals are here for our use, that we have um, dominion over them, and in general, that the natural world is here entirely for our benefit. But this sort of outlook doesn't just come from Christianity. It also comes from the views of various very influential philosophers. For example, Aristotle argues for a kind of hierarchy of being, where human beings are at the top, followed by animals, and then plants. And essentially, the justification he gives for this is that only human beings possess reason. And the, um, the 18th century philosopher, Immanuel Kant, also believed that only humans, because they're rational, deserve direct moral standing. Actually, you know, it's interesting. Kant did say that we shouldn't harm animals. But um, here's the thing. He said that we shouldn't harm them, not because they matter in themselves, but only because doing so would make it more likely that we'd end up eventually hurting other human beings. And who could ever matter as much as us? Anyway, you get the point. There's a deep history to why we have the attitudes that we do towards animals. But for Singer, this privileging of the members of the species Homo sapiens is, well, well, it's arbitrary. And ultimately, it's not justifiable. For him, what's most important is not whether a being is, is rational or can build a, a Tesla or whatever, but whether it has the capacity to suffer. If it can suffer, then it matters morally. It deserves our moral consideration. Period. Well, okay, if, uh, if animals can suffer then, if they're capable of feeling pain, then they matter in their own right. And not just because of their use value for us, says Singer. But then notice that animals for food becomes highly questionable. Actually, you know, Singer does qualify this. He does say that there are certain people living in places where they, they just must kill animals or they simply starve. And so he thinks that they're justified morally in killing them. But um, here's the thing. That's not the case for most people of industrialized societies. 
No, for most of us, it's pretty easy to obtain an adequate and healthy diet without consuming animal flesh. And actually, Singer does spend quite a bit of time going over the health benefits of a vegetarian or vegan diet compared to one with meat. Okay, but then, if he's right about this, then uh, notice something important. Namely, our eating of meat is not justified by appeal to health and survival. Well, so, if it's not about health, then why do we do it? Singer's answer is unequivocal. We eat meat for the taste, and that's it. Okay, but now you might think, well, what's wrong with that? Why shouldn't taste and the pleasure associated with it matter? Well, it's because compared to the lives and the welfare of the animals involved in the process of getting that meat on our dinner plates, the pleasure that we get from eating them can only seem trivial. In other words, we're considering a situation in which a minor or a, or a non-vital interest that we have has to be balanced against the tremendous suffering and killing of the animals involved. Um, to really drive this home, I once read this analogy somewhere, and it's kind of silly, but, but it makes the point. So imagine that you, um, you wake up in the hospital one morning, only to find out that your, your kidneys have been removed. It turns out that for some reason, your assailant is sitting right beside you. And so you ask him why he did this to you. And he says to you that, well, that he did it because he can sell your kidney on the black market and buy a nice car with the money that he gets for it. Well, here we obviously have a case where someone is sacrificing your most vital interests in order to promote their own comparatively very trivial interest, right? Well, is it really that much different in the case of eating animals? Is it really anything other than sacrificing the most vital interests of the animal all just to please our palate? A kidney for a Lamborghini. Okay, well, now, of course, a huge part of Singer's work is to address and, and detail the source of animal suffering for our food consumption. And of course, as most people know, but maybe avoid thinking about, is that most animal suffering comes from modern forms of factory farming. Now, for those of you who might not be aware of this, Factory farming is the automated process of meat production that confines sentient animals in horribly dense and unsuitable conditions to be turned into meat for maximum profit by big business. Suffice it to say, there's, there's no way around it. It's an awful enterprise. It's, uh, it's so bad, in fact that it turns even the pain of eventual slaughter itself into a merciful release. So, for Singer then, again, what really matters is not whether an animal is rational, but whether it's capable of experiencing pain and pleasure. So, his argument is simple enough. The system of meat production causes great suffering for animals. Because we don't need to eat them, because um, vegetarian or vegan diets are nutritionally fine, the pleasure that we get from eating animals just doesn't outweigh the overall pain we cause to them. Therefore, eating meat, Singer concludes, is wrong. 
Oh, and um, by the way, in case we don't care about animal suffering, we, uh, we might care about something else. Climate change and the sustainability of the planet. And um, if that's the case, then uh, here's something to think about. Farmed animals contribute more to climate change emissions than that produced by driving cars. So um, eating meat might not be just morally wrong, but from the point of view of our species, it might be terminally stupid and a prudential disaster. Listening to the Wisdom of Podcast. If you want to know more about this topic or the podcast in general, visit wisdomofpod.com. And as usual, we love to read your questions and comments. Reach us at info at wisdomofpod.com or on Twitter at wisdom underscore pod. Our next episode. Check of. Mm-hmm.